everyone. Welcome to episode 36 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray, and this week we'll do our usual roundup of fixes and vulnerabilities covered by the security team during the week. In particular, we'll have a look at uh, some packages including ElfUtils, uh, Glib, Dbus, uh, Vim. There was quite a lot of press around that one, and uh, another Firefox regression. And I'm going to sit down and have a talk to Joe about another NPM package hijack that we saw, and in particular the Vim issue that I'll have a, a bit more coverage about in the vulnerability section. And last, we'll go over an open position that we've got within the team. Okay, so let's get into it. So this week, there were 43 unique CVEs addressed by the team. To start with, we'll look at the Elf Utils package. So we had nine CVEs here that were addressed in Xenial, Bionic, and Cosmic. There was a mix of different issues here. Uh, it looked like someone had been fuzzing uh, Elf Utils using address sanitizer. Uh, and so all of these were resulting in uh, crashing the various libraries or utilities and therefore denial of service type issues, all based on you know crafted input files because they were fuzzing it. Uh, so yeah, we saw a bunch of different things. So multiple heap-based buffer overflows, uh, but these were on read, so in various libraries, so they're not a write buffer overflow. So again, just resulting in a crash. Uh, there was a divide by zero on a crafted elf input. Uh, there was multiple invalid pointer dereferences. And finally, a double free that was found in libelf. So yeah, all of these could be triggered through crafted elf files. So if you're running the various elf utils or the libraries from that, like libdw or uh, libelf on uh, kind of untrusted elf binaries, you, know, you might have been hit by this. But yeah, generally low priority stuff. But yeah, that's been fixed for elf utils. We've got an update for libsound files. So 13 CVEs here that were addressed for Xenial, Bionic, and Cosmic. So we had a range of different issues here. Again, pretty similar actually to the kind of stuff we saw in Elf Utils. Uh, however, uh, in this case, there was a possible remote code execution. And again, it looks like these were all found through someone fuzzing uh, libsound file with again, address sanitizer turned on. So this seems like a pretty common uh, way that people are going about finding bugs nowadays. And it's kind of really exploded actually the amount of bugs that uh, in particular security bugs that people are dealing with. There was a, uh, a topic on OSS security mailing list about this. Anyway, a topic for another, uh, another week to discuss. So yeah, again, uh, multiple heap-based buffer uh, overreads on crafted audio files, so including things like WAV files, ALOR files, or AIFF files, um, a null pointer dereference, a stack-based buffer overflow. Uh, so this is the one that could possibly be uh, remote code execution if you're you know, opening uh, crafted uh, audio files in this case. And again, uh, a few divide by zeros as well that were found there too. So they've all been fixed for libsound file. We've got an update for glib. So one CVE here fixed for precise extended security maintenance, trusty extended security maintenance, Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic, and Disco. And so uh, glib is the kind of main utility library uh, used in the GNOME stack. And within it, it contains the GIO library, which is kind of uh, file and IO uh, abstractions and operations. And it was found that when it was doing a file copy, it would create the new file to copy into, but it would do so with the default permissions. And then it would copy all the data you know, over from the first file into the second file. And then it would go and fix up the permissions to be based on the original ones. And so uh, as you can imagine, during the file copy process, then other users might potentially be able to read uh, this new you know, destination file. And so the fix was simply just to make sure that that file is first created with the restrictive permissions such that only the uh, owner can read it. And then at the end, go and you know, fix up the permissions to be whatever they actually should be. Yeah, so that's been fixed for glib. We've got an update for dbus. 
So uh, one CV here as well, fixed for precise extended security maintenance, trusty extended security maintenance, Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic, and Disco. Now, so uh, a bit of detail on this one. DBus has multiple different authentication mechanisms built into it so that as a client, you can authenticate to the server you know, as a given user. And uh, on Unix systems, this is usually done by passing uh, credentials over Unix sockets. And this is secure because it's enforced by the kernel. It's up to the kernel actually to pass those uh, credentials over and enforce that they are correct. And so it's pretty easy to authenticate and do so securely on a Unix system. However, on other platforms that Dbus supports, like Windows, uh, this isn't available. And so the Dbus developers uh, came up with a mechanism where, essentially, as a user, to prove that you were uh, the or to prove that you were the given user in question, uh, it would go and write a a kind of random value into a file in uh, the user's home directory. And then as a user, you would have to be able to read that file. And if you could read it and provide back the value, you'd be able to authenticate as that user. So it, uh, it kind of makes sense. Uh, but the problem was that uh, it didn't take into account symlinks. So as a user, you could um, kind of pre-create this, this file and symlink it somewhere else. And so at first blush, you could get dbus to potentially overwrite some arbitrary file as it goes to you know create this create this sort of cookie for you to have to prove that you can read. Uh, but you could actually point it at some other users uh, dbus keyring or cookie so you could point it at roots and eventually you could essentially confuse dbus to think that you as a local user had actually authenticated as the root user because it would go and then manipulate this cookie value in roots home directory because you'd gone and pointed yours at that and so essentially as a unprivileged user you could authenticate as root to dbus uh, using this other authentication mechanism called dbus cookie sha1 so there are a bunch of ways this could have been fixed, uh, but the simplest one really was to make sure that uh, the, essentially they changed the operation of the dbus cookie sha1 implementation to only allow a user to authenticate as the same user that uh, the dbus server owner is. So if you're running, say, the system dbus, that's running as root, and so you can only authenticate as root. You can't try to authenticate as a local user and then essentially confuse you know, dbus that you're actually root as was done in the uh, proof of concept in this case. And yeah, so this kind of changes the behavior of that authentication mechanism, but it's not actually used uh, widely on, in particular, Linux. You know, they will often use uh, the Unix uh, socket credentials instead. So yeah, that's been fixed for dbus by basically just changing the behavior of that authentication mechanism. Now we've got one, uh, an update for Vim. So this got a bunch of press during the week. Uh, I think a lot of it highly unwarranted, uh, but essentially uh, you know, one main CVE here, we actually fixed two CVEs in this update, uh, but the main one that I wanna talk about, as I say, I think it's probably the most overhyped bug of the week. And I've actually got some links to some different press articles about it. But essentially, the idea was that uh, you know you could run Vim and you could open some arbitrary file and you could cause Vim to execute arbitrary commands uh, as your local user. So it's not some privilege escalation vulnerability or anything like that, I guess, unless you are launching Vim via sudo to you know, execute some crafted file. Uh, but the way this worked is that Vim has support for a thing called mode lines. Now, uh, these aren't to be confused with, say, a similar concept in Emacs where the mode line is kind of where it displays all your status information. In Vim, the mode line is kind of a special magic comment part of the file that you can include directives to Vim. So you can include things like maybe the uh, indentation settings for that file. So that, that way, uh, everyone that uses Vim, when they open the file, they will have their indentation set up the same so that you, know, you can all share editing on it and people aren't going to mess up the indentation. 
And uh, only a subset of various Vim uh, commands and things can be executed from that. In particular, the main one is set. So you're setting various variables, as I say, things like the uh, tab spacing or indent width, that kind of thing. Uh, and uh, But not everything can be set via this. And it's meant to be side effect free. However, uh, it turned out that there is a, a Vim command called source with a exclamation mark bang at the end of it, uh, which was still allowed. And this is actually used to read extra Vim commands from another file on disk as though they were typed by the user. And then this gets executed outside of this kind of sandbox that the normal mode line commands run in. And so it was found basically it was possible to bypass the sandbox by using this source directive in, uh, in your mode line. And, uh, you know, because Vim can kind of support doing almost anything like running arbitrary commands and that kind of thing, you could get arbitrary command execution uh, via Vim. And the uh, proof of concept for this included running a reverse shell just by opening a crafted file. So it demonstrated this was a relatively powerful, uh, you know, mechanism in Vim that had sort of been overlooked. Now, uh, something to point out, though, is that uh, mode lines are disabled by default in Debian and therefore Ubuntu. And so to enable this feature, you would have had to explicitly enable it in your own VimRC. Uh, so if you hadn't done that, uh, you were safe against this. Uh, and as I say, it only allowed, uh, well, it allowed command execution. It didn't kind of allow privilege escalation or anything like that. Uh, but we have released uh, the patch for this. Uh, the patch was just to simply disable uh, this, you know, sourcing this source command from, uh, from a file from the mode line or from anywhere within the sandbox. So to make sure that that was blocked. Uh, so yeah, that's been fixed in Ubuntu. Uh, one other thing, so we also uh, rolled in a low priority uh, fix for this update as well, uh, which was that where Vim could be made to crash via a crafted spell file. So the spell file is used to kind of list your local additions to the dictionary doing spell checking. And so, you know, if you could craft this file in such a way, you could cause Vim to crash. So that's been fixed as well. Uh, we've got an update, related update for NeoVim. So this is kind of the new and improved fork of Vim. Uh, that was the same issue. As I say, the uh, mode lines issue was fixed here as well. Uh, and this was fixed for Cosmic and Disco. And finally, for the week's uh, summary of updates, uh, we've got another Firefox regression. So I mentioned this uh, last week. So basically, um, back in episode 33, I talked about a Firefox update, which was to Firefox 67.0. And this unfortunately contained a regression. And so we uh, last week released the update uh, 67.0.1, which I talked about in episode 35. Uh, but unfortunately there was another regression in, uh, in this, this release. So uh, upstream Firefox released 67.0.2, which is what uh, I'm talking about here. And this unfortunately uh, had a, as I say, 67.0.1 had another problem where it would fail to load correctly if you were running it in safe mode. And so hence the 67.0.2 release that we've now released. So yeah, that takes us to the end of the wrap up of security updates for the week. Uh, next, uh, I sat down with Joe this week and we had a talk about another recent NPM package hijack and we had a bit of a chat about the Vim issue and kind of how that relates to, I guess, other editors and maybe even then things like alert fatigue and prompting user for decisions and that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, let's start off with the NPM one. Um, so I think we all know it was like six months ago, there was a person who uh, had, a MP, had, a, had an NPM project with like 2 million downloads, I believe. Um, or maybe 2 million active users, one of the two, I can't remember. Um, and they hadn't done much with it. So someone sent him an email saying, hey, can I take over this this project? Said, sure, why not? So they took it over and they did a really neat attack. Um, what they did was they had modified 
not it itself, but they had mod- so they had modified it to require a library. Uh, so a dependency. That dependency had crypto mining um, software built into it. So you would you would install the the application, then that application wouldn't set off any flags because it just had a dependency. The dependency itself is what had the malicious software in it. Um, so that was discovered that people were crypto mining. It was all going to the same wallet, etc. So the NPM security team did an awesome job of learning a lesson from that. Because over the weekend, uh, their numbers say they protected uh, $13 million in cryptocurrency from being stolen um, because there was malware that um, that was hitting the Agama. I believe I'm saying that correctly, but I probably butchered it. Agama, I don't know. Um, there's too many cryptocurrency wallets out there. Um, so there's this mining software that was in there um, or, or malware that was in there would steal this money. It was pretty neat. They found, once again, a useful package. Um, and this one was electron-native-notify. And then they modified it to have a um, to have a dependency. That dependency was doing this. Um, and uh, the NPM security team found it. They stopped it. Um, they removed the malware from NPM. And they even have a tool now called NPM Audit which will um, notify if malicious dependencies are in your projects. I mean, that's really cool. What a cool proactive stance that NPM took. Kudos to those folks for discovering this. Um, And it's just, the crypto mining stuff is just more and more popular. And I'd be curious to know um, how they discovered it, uh, what tools they were using. Um, I know years ago, I was at an antivirus company and we were... um, we were doing uh, malware analysis for Android mobile apps. Um, and what we did is basically we just did, we did um, really simple matching on the libraries that people were using to do. At that time, it was Android malware. This was like 2012. It was doing sending uh, premium SMS messages and spamming your contacts. So we knew what those looked like. 99% of attackers were using the same, um, the same exact libraries, doing the same thing. So we could detect that and block almost all of it um, really easily. And that's just getting the low-hanging fruit out of the way. So I'm assuming they're doing something similar to that, probably some custom in-house scripts. And I think that's that's super cool. Yeah, I also find that really cool, particularly um, if they can now proactively detect uh, what look to be malicious packages, right, or, ch- or changes to existing packages that then make them malicious, right? That's the, clearly that's the, um, the real crux of this issue um then there's the other part of yes you need to check your dependency chains and all of that but that's a pretty known problem um so yeah i think that's that is awesome and as i say that they were proactive about it and they were able to prevent this not even just oh yeah we found it after the fact uh you know so yeah yeah as you say kudos to them yeah i think because there is um oh i can't remember the last report i read but it's something ridiculous it depends on what auditor or what 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 um managed security services report you're reading but it's anywhere from like what 15 days to like 90 days after an attack you discover it happened it's some you know from it's what the time from time from infection to time of detection delta is what you're looking for um and i've never seen a really good number because it's usually driven by someone trying to sell you something but it's cool i mean they found this before that right that that's amazing so yeah uh the next issue we're going to talk about is one that's been all over the um uh, like threat post and hacker news and other sites like that about a vulnerability with Vim. 
And I think the vulnerability that if you read the article would be, open this text file and we'll pwn your computer. Yep. So, did I think it. that was it. Yeah. Did you get did, did you get pwned this week? <laughs> I didn't get pwned. I did try the the proof of concept. It certainly worked. Um, however, uh, so this uh, was using uh, some of the, the Mo- BIM's internal mode lines. I think that's the feature. Yeah, mode lines. Yeah, so that it could uh, basically. Um, and in this case, could execute arbitrary stuff, right, to display whatever in your mode line. Uh, and uh, it doesn't work out of the box on Ubuntu. Because we have that disabled. That's right. We have that disabled. So, uh, you know, um, which is good, right? Um, as I say, you can run the proof of concept. You just need to manually, in your own VMRC, turn back on mode line support. Um but yeah, cool. So this, uh, we have now patched it in Ubuntu so that even if you had turned that back on now, you are now safe. Uh, but it does show, I guess, that we do like to take a proactive stance for these things in the first place mm-hmm. and to try to uh, limit which kind of features are on that could cause potential security issues like this. So, In my head, I classified this as like the MS word macro attack, but for, for VI. No, I think that makes sense. Uh, do you- and even, you know, unlike... It, it doesn't pop up a dialogue asking you, do you want to, do you want to allow this, right? So something, um, you know, in the old editor wars, you know, there's Emacs on the other hand, and Emacs is a, uh, a whole Lisp environment internally. So you can include in files, you know, arbitrary Lisp to execute, which can do whatever it wants, essentially. Uh, Emacs, on the other hand, will pop up a, a thing asking you, do you trust this? Do you want to execute it? And that isn't terribly useful for most people because they're probably just going to say yes. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if they've just downloaded some nice new theme or whatever, right? And the theme says it wants to execute arbitrary code. So, uh, you know, we still have a problem, I think, in security that it um, trying to translate what is uh, an arbitrary decision to the user where mm-hmm. the user doesn't have context. They may don't have the knowledge necessarily to make that. I think that's still... Um, We've still got a long ways to go to make uh, security decisions like that properly usable for users. Oh, absolutely. And there's something um, in the in the uh, medical field, there's something called alert fatigue. And that's when you look at so many alerts per day, which are going off in hospitals, et cetera, that you just get fatigued and no longer respond to them. Um, and obviously, that's an incredibly serious issue um, in the medical field because people's lives are, are, are on the line. But you can sort of apply that same theory to computer security. Right. Um, if you were to, if you were to believe everybody who wrote about this VIM issue, like the sky was falling, like you couldn't trust anything you opened because I mean, it was just going to destroy your box. Um, and and this sort of leads up to what you just talked about with Emacs. You've got this pop up, or so many programs. You've got all these pop ups saying, "Do you want to allow this?" I think most people just hit yes because they they've got alert fatigue. They just no longer care. They hit yes to everything. Um, you think, oh, well, why this computer is so locked down? It's asking me yes for everything. So I just have to hit yes. It won't do anything otherwise. Um, I think, geez, like anytime I used to help, help people troubleshoot their Windows environment, it's like, ah, just hit run as admin. That'll fix it, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and that's totally the wrong situation. Although, I mean, I'm going to make a joke here. So don't, don't at me on Twitter on this one. But, I mean, come on, they're running Windows. Um, <laughs> That is a joke. It's 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 what I can say as a Linux person. Um, but um, anyhow, yeah, the Vim issue is a, a super interesting one um, because it was I think the first time I'm really familiar with a with a Vim issue like this with the sort of macro style attack, and I just think that's cool. Um, I don't know 
if you ever looked at the site called User Friendly. User Friendly years ago was a webcomic during the dot-com days. And, and a running thing they had was there was Clippy for Windows. And, uh, and they had Vigor, which was Clippy for VI, which I think somebody might have wrote an open source plugin for. So I'll have to Google that later. If Vigor if exists, I don't know if it's still I'm sure being maintained. It does. I'm sure someone would have created it, yeah. <laughs> so if not, next time we have an engineering uh, hackathon, we're totally going to write Vigor. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Anyhow, um, anything else to talk about this week, Alex? No, I think we're done. That's cool. Cool. Everybody, um, thanks for getting at us in um, in Twitter. Uh, a bunch of folks have said that they're interested in our um, in what we do to harden our our Ubuntu environments. So we'll do a, a podcast about that soon um, with all the things we do as a security team to harden our boxes. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Cool. Talk to everybody next week. So thanks again for that, Joe. I will chat to you in another week. Okay, uh, so just to close, we have got an open position in the team. We are looking for a robotic security engineer. So if you have a strong interest in ROS, the robotics operating system, and you would like to help define kind of the security architecture of ROS going forward, and in particular in ROS 2, and get involved in that upstream and play with some awesome robots, we would love to have you on board our security team. So there's a link in the show notes. I urge you to check it out and apply. All right, that takes us to the end of this week's episode. As usual, if you'd like to get in contact, you can reach the team at security at ubuntu.com. Or you can find us all hanging out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on the Freenode IRC network, so come along and say good day. Or if Twitter's more your thing, you can reach us at Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec. So thanks again for everyone listening for another week. Uh, next week, I'm going to be uh, on a work trip and I'm unlikely to get another podcast out that week. So we'll probably do a big catch up uh, double episode uh, the following week. So, again, most likely no episode next week, uh, but, you know, you never know. We'll see how we go, but just forewarned. Uh, But, yeah, thanks again for listening for this week. Uh, Remember, keep calm, enable automated upgrades, and I will speak to you again soon. Bye.